Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. The impeachment inquiry into President Trump continues. Here are some news developments to keep you up to speed. On Wednesday, a U.S. district judge in Washington decided that the State Department would have to comply with a court order to begin releasing Ukraine-related documents in 30 days. The decision came in a public records lawsuit filed by a government watchdog group. Using the Freedom of Information Act, the group sought communications, such as those between Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. On Thursday, Pompeo said that the State Department would do, quote, everything we're required to do under the law. The State Department, though, has been resisting similar requests by House investigators. The Washington Post reported Thursday that the White House delayed a Ukraine trade decision in August. Then-National Security Advisor John Bolton warned the U.S. Trade Representative against proceeding with the restoration of certain trade privileges for Ukraine. This episode shows a second instance of programs caught up in the storm over the president's approach toward Ukraine, but it's not clear whether President Trump directed Bolton to intervene. The Washington Post also reported this week that House Democrats are preparing to move their largely private impeachment inquiry onto a more public stage as soon as mid-November. The Democrats are already grappling with how best to present the complex Ukraine saga to the American people. Over the past three weeks, several current and former Trump administration officials have testified behind closed doors, but some Democrats have been feeling pressure to advance public hearings. That pressure is coming from people like Senate Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham, who later Thursday announced a resolution condemning the House impeachment inquiry. Graham said that his resolution has 44 Republican co-sponsors and called it a, quote, strong signal to our House colleagues that you're off script here. It also came dramatically as part of a chaotic day on Capitol Hill Wednesday. A Pentagon official who oversees Ukraine policy, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Laura Cooper, was scheduled to testify in a closed-door hearing in a secure room in the basement of the Capitol, the SCIF, as that kind of room is known. Her testimony wasn't expected to make much news. Some Republican lawmakers, though, made some news instead. A group of nearly 30 Republican members of Congress disrupted Cooper's planned testimony by storming the secure hearing room and demanding transparency into the behind-closed-door work of the House committees leading the impeachment inquiry, work that Republicans on those committees already participate in and have access to. The protest delayed the hearing by hours and raised security concerns in a space designed for sensitive information. The chaos on the Hill also led to a whole bunch of questions about the strategy of the Democrats, the role House Republicans play in defending the president, and how much White House guidance is informing any of these tactics. So we'll break it down. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency and what happens when branches of government collide. I'm Allison Michaels. 
I turned to White House reporter Tolu Oluranipa to explain what the Republicans were trying to achieve Wednesday as they led this protest into the secure area in the basement of the Capitol. Well, we know that President Trump has been very concerned that Republicans have not been doing enough to defend him during this impeachment hearing. We've heard a lot of information come out that's really damaging for the White House, damaging for their case. We've seen Democrats be very bold in speaking about what's happening behind closed doors. We've seen some of the testimony come out from Trump administration officials that undercuts the president's denials of doing anything wrong. And President Trump has said that he wants Republicans to be unified, to be more tough and to be more vigorous in supporting him and defending him in public. So they had this very public event, which they used to basically voiced their concerns about the process uh, of the impeachment hearing, saying that everything's happening behind closed doors, saying that there's not enough transparency, saying President Trump is not getting his due process. And they were very public. They had a press conference before they did this, and then they decided to walk in to this closed-door meeting in this secure facility in a way that was very public and very disruptive, in a way that seemed to get the approval of, of the president, who just the day before was calling for them to be more tough and more public. Yeah, that very day before the Republican protest. Tuesday. Let's talk about it. We know that that day Trump met with the House Freedom Caucus. That's a group of conservative lawmakers, including some of his most ardent supporters in Congress. What did the president tell the House Freedom Caucus at that meeting? He said that Democrats are vicious and united. Republicans have too many people that are not being loyal, that are peeling off from the group, that are saying things that are negative about the president. So he wanted that unity, which he sees among Democrats. He wanted Republicans to show that as well. And he's had a lot of concern about not having enough people defending him on television, defending him publicly. So he called for Republicans, these Freedom Caucus members, who are some of his most loyal allies in Congress. He called on them to actually be more public, to go on television, to do public events that basically defend him and show that he is innocent uh, in their mind. Uh, so so they took that to heart. They took that to heart. And we understand that they informed the White House about what they were going to do. And they got the sign off from the president that he was on board with this publicity stunt in which they were going to storm these closed door hearings and, and make their case known. All right. Let's walk through some of what happened in the lead up to this sort of storming the hearing and, and how it went down. So we're at the Hill the next day on Wednesday. A group of about 30 Republican members of Congress stand outside this what is normally a restricted area of the Capitol. What was their message from there? What were they protesting? It was all about process. They believe that this closed-door process of the Democratic impeachment hearing is not fair to the president, that the Republicans who are in the House, who are not on these various committees, do not get to see the transcripts, do not get to participate, that none of this is happening before the public. And they believed that's not fair to the president, that you had multiple people say that they're trying to overthrow the, the results for the 2016 election, and they're doing it behind closed doors. So it was a very process-focused argument. You didn't hear very many Republicans defending the president on the merits of the case, on the idea that he had done nothing wrong with Ukraine and the sort of the central part of the scandal. Uh, instead, they were talking about process. They were saying that the president needs to have more due process rights, that he needs to be able to call witnesses, and that Republicans have not been given a fair shake in this process. So that was the full argument. And several members of this group who are not part of these committees decided to take that 
argument a step further by actually barging into the room and saying that they deserve to be a part of the process and hear what was happening behind closed doors. But to be clear, there are Republicans that have access to those closed-door hearings. Yes, that's exactly right. These hearings are bipartisan. You have uh, several committees that are made up of an equal number, more or less, of Republicans and Democrats. Republicans get to ask questions. Democrats get to ask questions. Everyone who is part of these committees gets to participate. But people who are not part of this committee, Democrats and Republicans, do not get to participate. Now, Democrats have said that they're eventually going to hold public hearings. They're going to do this all out in the public, but they wanted to build a case first. And in order to do that, they had to do things behind closed doors so that the various witnesses could not, you know, compare their testimony or maybe uh, amend their testimony to try to get in line with what someone else had said. They're running this uh, as a traditional investigation. And that's part of the reason they've said they're doing it behind closed doors. So is it normal for these investigations to happen behind closed doors, particularly in this area called the SCIF, the Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility? Is that normal? Yeah. I mean, we have seen other investigations in the past, the Benghazi hearings, for example, that were done behind closed doors, in part because when you're trying to get to the bottom of uh, an investigation, a lot of times you can't allow everything to be done in public because you're going to have witnesses who hear what someone else said and try to make their own testimony align with what another witness may have said. Uh, Those previous Investigations also had a public component as well, and Democrats are telling reporters and saying publicly that they are also going to hold public hearings in the future as well. So this is not uh, something that's very much out of the ordinary. What you're hearing from Republicans is because this is an impeachment hearing that there there should be different rules that apply, that because this is such a big deal, there should be more transparency, that there should be more public hearings. And I think that pressure is starting to grow on on Democrats to do some of this in public and allow the public in to see what's happening behind closed doors. Now, in the SCIF specifically, who is that area actually restricted from? Who's given access to that area? Why is it secure? How does that area work? Yeah, the SCIFs are normally very restricted because they're an area where you can discuss highly classified information. So members of these various committees that are assigned to these hearings, including the Intelligence Committee, people who have security clearances, who have been basically pre-cleared to see and hear classified information, they're allowed to be a part of this. They are following certain protocols, including not, not allowing them to bring cell phones and electronic devices in. They've already gone through the requisite training to make sure they know what to do inside of a skiff. The people who ended up sort of storming the room were not authorized to be there. They had not gone through the various trainings that, that they need and the, gotten the various clearances they needed to be there. And some of them actually brought electronic devices in, which is also a breach of protocol. So there is a difference between the people who are authorized, members of the Intelligence Committee and the other committees that are a part of this impeachment inquiry, and members of other committees who were not authorized to be there, who ended up walking in and causing the security problems. Well, because this is Can He Do That? And we focus a lot on the laws around process. I just want to ask if these particular violations so entering a skiff when you're not supposed to be there and you know bringing an electronic device that might compromise security in some way are those things punishable are they penalties that lawmakers will face consequences for well, these are members of Congress, so they do face a little bit of different rules. If these were just regular people or people who are part of the press that were you know, entering these areas in an unauthorized way, then there would be significant penalties. But because these are members of Congress and they write their own rules, they also are responsible for enforcing their own rules. Uh, so there is a chance that they could enforce the rules against themselves, but it's probably less likely that because they're members of Congress, because they are essentially allowed to 
roam the halls of the Capitol. Any of the rooms in the Capitol are essentially their territory. It's unlikely that they would enforce the rules against themselves. But I do know some Democrats were contemplating, you know, calling the Capitol Police yesterday and trying to figure out how to get these people who are not authorized to be there out of the room. And eventually they ultimately were able to conclude the situation without bringing in the police or bringing in any type of law enforcement. But there was some concern that people who are not authorized to be in these rooms were there and they were holding a demonstration. They were not leaving. And there was concern that there were, were are not really specific rules about how to get people out of those rooms when they are members of Congress and when they do have some level of authority within the, the confines of the Capitol, which is their home base. Now, clearly, as you say, this is evidence of Democrats facing some pressure to open up some of these hearings or make this information public. Do the Democrats have plans at this point to do that, to make the information from these closed door hearings public? Yes. And we have already seen some of the information come out, some opening statements that have been released, some released by those giving the testimony and some released sort of through leaks and through unauthorized uh, disclosures. But Democrats have said that they do plan to make this a very public process, that they are going to release the transcripts when they're done with the initial part of their investigation. They've also said that they will hold public hearings with key witnesses who will provide the information that have, that has already been provided behind closed doors. So we could see that as soon as next month, um, this impeachment process has been moving very rapidly. Democrats have said that they've built the majority of their case, even though there's been some obstruction from the White House who has not wanted to participate in this process. But Democrats feel pretty comfortable with their case at this point, and they're close to bringing it into the public light and having much more public hearings and releasing transcripts from some of these very lengthy hearings that on average have lasted more than six or seven hours. Okay. And to close the loop, how did all of this chaos ultimately get resolved? Did the Pentagon official, her name's Laura Cooper, actually get a chance to testify? Yes. After about five hours of delay, the delay was caused in part by this demonstration, which sort of lasted longer than expected and also this delayed the process much longer than expected because this was a secure facility that, that had to be reprocessed and they had to go through all of this protocol to make sure that everything was okay after some of these lawmakers had brought electronic devices in the room. So it was a very long delay. It did not actually end up disrupting the entire process or canceling the impeachment hearing. It just delayed it for about five hours. But this Pentagon official still testified, still had several hours of testimony. It still continued on. And I believe that the lawmakers who did storm the room did a press conference at the end of the process as well to reiterate their concerns and their complaints about the process. But it was, in the end, sort of a publicity stunt, a sort of a theatrical demonstration that didn't really change the balance of power in the impeachment process, which continues to go forward. As soon as Saturday, they're going to restart some of these hearings, and those hearings are scheduled to continue into the coming weeks as well. So in some ways, this was effective, and in other ways, it wasn't. Let's talk about how the protest reflects the larger GOP strategy in defending Trump throughout this impeachment inquiry process. Yeah, this strategy has uh, changed over time. The Republican messaging has not really been very consistent. It's changed over the past few weeks as they've tried to center on a central message, but it's been very much process-related. It hasn't been focused on the substance. You have to remember the substance of the central allegation against Trump is that he used his power to pressure the Ukrainian government to investigate Democrats. Most of that has been corroborated by evidence, by testimony, by documents that released even by the White House. So Republicans have had a tough time kind of denying that central allegation. Instead, they've used some process charges saying Democrats are not being fair to the president. They're not allowing him to call witnesses. They're not allowing this process to play out in the public. And that 
argument seems to shift on a regular basis, in part because there's not really a main apparatus within the White House that's organizing the, the messaging strategy. It's really being driven by the president, by his tweets. Every day, he sort of seems to up the ante on the rhetoric, and Republicans are often forced to defend the president and the language he's using while also trying to defend him from the charges that, that the Democrats are bringing forward in this impeachment process. And so far, they've settled on process arguments and not so much on a substantive defense of what the president did. Was there a reason the Republicans chose this particular hearing? How did this moment fit in the timeline of testimonies and new information that emerged from hearings this week? Yeah, there was nothing about this particular hearing with this Pentagon official that was seen as especially, you know, moving or explosive. But the day before this happened, there was probably the most damning testimony from a Trump administration official. We had Bill Taylor, who is essentially the ambassador to Ukraine for the Trump administration, testify for several hours and basically say that there was a quid pro quo in which the Trump administration was pushing Ukraine to investigate the Democrats in exchange for almost $400 million in military aid that had been approved by Congress. This is a really central allegation behind all of this, all of these hearings and the fact that you had a Trump administration officials filling in a lot of the dots making it pretty clear, and we saw some of his testimony come out, that he believed that there was an improper quid pro quo pushed forward by Trump and linked to security assistance for Ukraine. That really seemed to change the dynamic of these hearings, and it led to Republicans taking a much more aggressive stance and trying to block some of these hearings because the information that had come out had become so threatening to the president. You even had some Republicans who said that this was not a good look for the president to have one of his own officials basically testifying that he had done exactly what he said he had not done. So that's where the GOP seems to have landed. But is there discord between the White House and the GOP in Congress at this point? Is there a difference of opinion in what the strategy should be? There's not much of a strategy actually coming out of the White House, which has made it difficult for the House Republicans to decide how to defend the president. In part, it's because the president is leading his own defense strategy. And he has been known for being erratic and not necessarily following a playbook. And part of that is because his tweets are often very impulsive. It's just what comes to his mind in the moment. It's not part of a broad strategy. So we've seen the White House try to basically say that the president has done nothing wrong, that his call with the Ukrainian president was perfect. And that's a difficult position, that absolutist position. It's difficult for Republicans to defend because they have said in some cases that they do think that the president may have been on the wrong footing, even though he may not have done anything impeachable. They think it was probably improper to pressure the Ukrainians for his own political benefit. So that's been the discord between the White House, who has said, you know, the president has done nothing wrong, and the House Republicans, who in some cases have said, you know, the president has done nothing impeachable, but they haven't been willing to say that everything he has done has been perfect. Okay, so we've outlined the Democratic strategy, and we've outlined this combination of a White House GOP strategy. What do we know about how these things are working? Do we have any insight into public perception at this point? Well, we have polling, which shows that support for impeachment has continued to improve and increase over those past several weeks, especially as Democrats have opened this formal impeachment inquiry and as more information has come out. I think the Quinnipiac University had a poll that came out just recently that had the support for impeachment at about 55 percent, which is the highest ranking that they've had since they've started doing that poll. So 
Democrats have been able to provide some information to the public that has increased the public support for impeachment. It's still a very highly partisan issue. Republicans tend to support the president at a very high rate. They don't think he's done anything that's impeachable. Democrats tend to have a higher rate of people who think he should be impeached. It's always been high, but it's been growing over the past several weeks. And independents also have been having an increase in their support for impeachment as well. So that's where the polling is at this moment. In some cases, it's still somewhat split between 50 and 55 percent of people saying they support impeachment, 45 to 50 percent saying that they don't support it. So it's not a slam dunk by any measure, but it's a very high number of people who do support the president's impeachment. All right, Tolu, my last question for you. These were some pretty dramatic antics yesterday on the Hill. Do we expect to see similar events happening, similar moments where Republicans are really fighting back or or even Democrats are taking drastic measures? Do we expect to see more of this? I wouldn't be surprised. This is a theatrical presidency, and he definitely focuses on what he can see on television. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see more stunts, more action by House Republicans to try to defend the president in some ways. And because the Democrats have said that they're going to be putting this process out into the public, these are going to be televised hearings. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for grandstanding, a lot of opportunity for people to make their case to the president that they are defending him the best they can. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see some antics, uh, some disruptive antics during this process as it moves forward. I I don't think we've seen the end of the theatrics uh, associated with this impeachment process. All right, Lou, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry in one place, including the latest from Can He Do That? Post Reports and The Daily 202's Big Idea, updated whenever news happens. Subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the encouraging Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.